Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that we uh, did an intro or talked about spiritual gifts last week because I think you guys are prepared. If what I say sounds unintelligible, maybe someone could just pop up and give an interpretation. <laughs> I don't really mean that, but yes, certainly not doing this is not in my gifts of or, or you know, comfortability. But I am, I'm really glad. I'm really glad because, you know, we talked about God's varied gifts we talked about how he apportions to each as he will, verse 11, chapter 12. And so if I can serve as someone uh, with, as you will see, a, a, a different proportion of gift than you're normally used to hearing to inspire you to be vulnerable and put yourself out there, then so be it. <laughs> I'm happy to be that. Happy to be uh, the first to go for that. So though I don't enjoy talking about myself, I was told it'd probably be a good idea to share a few things since I'm still sort of newer to you guys here. So I just wanted to just do a brief uh, little bit about myself. So um, I grew up kind of doing a small little tour of East Texas towns, born in Tyler, moved to Kilgore, then to Spring Hill, and then uh, settled in Lindale and graduated from there, which is... um, and after that, I moved to Denton and was more or less there in Denton for 19 years. But um, as time went on, my family all began to kind of converge in Tyler, like grandparents and aunts and uncles. And so we thought, man, why are we raising our kids without all these guys to help us? So here's just a little picture of my Tyler family that's all here. And man, it sure has been great <laughs> to just be surrounded by family. I've not known that in the first you know, uh, 10 years of raising our kids. So there they are. They're wonderful. Um, so yeah, we've been in Tyler for three and a half years now. Uh, Natalie and I were married in 2007 in Denton, as I said, and in 2010, uh, yeah, there, 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 look at that white tux. So I asked her, I said, baby, would it be more appropriate since, you know, you're representing the bride of Christ and in some way, I don't know if the husband's like, he's coming back to, to get his bride. Shouldn't I walk down the aisle? And, uh, she didn't like that idea too much, so... I just settled for a white tux, you know, to, to show, to try and depict that. Yeah, never wore that one again, so I definitely would have spilled something on it. Anyway, we were married in 07, and in 2010, God blessed us with our firstborn, uh, and then firstborn son, and then every two years thereafter, uh, another uh, child came into the world until 2016, our fourth and final. Um, God has been very good to us in this way. Um, my wife is a uh, avid tennis and now pickleball player, so she's been hooping and hollering for the announcements that have been coming over across the last three or four weeks. And and not only that, just a competitor in general. She's a heck of a card player. Um, I, I didn't grow up in a family who did games. I, I sort of wish I did. So I can really count on my left hand, not even with all the fingers, the times that I have beat her in any any card game. It's probably like speed when she was like really sleepy or something one time. So, uh, and she would be the first to probably say that that's not true because she's got that competitive spirit, you know. So, our kids are super active outdoors, you know, cardboard boxes, creating things, dancing, jumping, running, playing. Uh, They spend lots of time outdoors by choice, sometimes theirs and a lot of times ours. Um, We are thankful, though, to be here in Tyler and to be here with you all, and and I'll tell you a little bit about why. Um, as, as regards to my work, I have always been kind of a wandering soul early in my life. I haven't always worked in churches, though I did have one eight-year stint as a full-time worship pastor in Denton. But career-wise, I've bounced back and forth between like some form of construction work or leading music. Um, 
Having played music, though, in probably 100 churches, I did get to see a lot of fads come in and out of the church in the music scene, um, which created, interestingly enough, a lot of large demands for musicians and leaders in churches. And I saw a lot of my, my peers and folks who had at one time been committed to Christ, uh, a lot of that, uh, I saw that scatter and, and people get farther away from a life um, committed to, to the Lordship of Christ. And there was a time, even in my own experience, of just playing at a bunch of different places and never really belonging anywhere where the lines begin to blur for me of like, what is my vocation? What is my service? What is a gig? What's calling? What's church membership? You know, what's just an opportunity that I'm jumping that I shouldn't be? And uh, in myself, I, I saw a lot of that genuine faith and love for the Lord fade as I became disconnected from the church. And, and this really began for me a, a burden that... Even if I'm playing music, as some people say, for the Lord, which I don't know what that means. We're called to do all things as unto the Lord. Uh, I need the church. I need to be anchored and rooted in what he has given and provided here in, in a local body. And so um, my family and I, we needed to belong together in Christ's body in one place uh, long enough to be known by more than just our best foot forward, first impression sort of thing. So I came to realize how much I and others need the body of Christ because I saw that uh, sort of lack in my own life. And so the, the text today really is, is, is special to me. Um, and mainly because I saw so many of my friends, and I mean that, uh, either egregious sins that, would, that came out 10, 15 years later um, or just a slow a trickling away of faith as, uh, as, as music became the focus and, and, and what was lost was a genuine connection to the body of Christ, what we're going to talk about in the text today, his people. So uh, I've learned that us musicians and probably others too are not strong enough without the Christ that is in you and each one of you here in this room. And so um, I'm really thankful to be here because I sort of imagined once we made that decision that I wasn't going to get the opportunity to do both. I just decided, okay, we've got to be in church together as a family and we've got to be rooted and... Uh, <coughs> which means we're looking for a healthy church that doesn't always need you know, me to do music in. So that this opportunity came up, I'm just so grateful. Um, specifically just because you know, one of the, or the three of the things that I've really loved about this church is, uh, is one, how you guys really take time for relationships. And those things seem to continue even outside of the Sunday gathering all throughout the week. Um, I think, and I've seen you all really love and diligently study the scriptures. And um, lastly, I've seen just such a beautiful culture of grace to make a mistake and loving encouragement to get back up and in truth to try again that really exists here. And I've, I've been a lot of places and what, what you guys have and what I'm learning to enjoy is really special here. So, so thank you for receiving me and my family. And I really and truly hope, do hope to get to know each and every one of you as time goes on. Um, Lord willing. So, enough about me. Uh, I want to recap last week, 1 Corinthians 12. We started that chapter together, and uh, Eric talked about the use of spiritual gifts in the gathering. And we learned that the church is supposed to be, as he said, God's redemptive recreation here on earth. And yet, as our adored architect of alliteration, Eric, reminded us, there was chaos instead of cosmos. Um, chaos instead of cosmos, meaning this well-ordered universe as God intended the church to be. This, again, redemptive recreation in a world of chaos. 
and in this Corinthian gathering um, that uh, both the people and the advancement of the gospel were suffering because of that chaos. Uh, he went over some applications at the end that I just want to kind of to hit again. I think sometimes information comes so quickly uh, and it's good and, and, and a second helping of it might help remember. Um, first off, in an application he talked about in pursuing spiritual gifts, we, we are to avoid the selfish dangers of spiritual gifts, whether it's uh, refusing to serve because it doesn't seem to align uh, with what God's gifted us, or uh, thinking certain gifts are more necessary than others, or having arrogance about our gifts, or, or gifts for show and not for service. Secondly, he reminded us that spiritual gifts are for us, us corporately, not just for you, not just for me. Um, and lastly, to remember, you are God's gift to the church. And that is not an overstatement for how we'll see in the text, hopefully, today. Um, God has chosen uh, many, many times to speak through us to build up his church. And that's a humbling and uh, a sobering reality that we are to, to take seriously. So, And then he gave us this acronym, G-I-F-T-S, to help know how we ought or might pursue the spiritual gifts. G meaning... Um, Give yourself to God fully, like so many of the great um, people of faith said, Lord, here I am. I'm holding nothing back. Use me. That's the spirit in which we pursue these gifts. And I, involve yourself in various ministries and in the lives of other people in this church. Uh, sometimes the key to knowing how God has gifted us is just to be involved and see where you can serve, where, where God can use you. They always say, you know, it's, it's easier to steer a moving train or a moving, moving vehicle uh, God directs sometimes when we just get in motion. F, focus on specific gifts. Where does the most good come out of you? Uh, sometimes with the least amount of effort. That's a key to knowing how God has probably naturally gifted you. T, talk to others. Don't do it in isolation. Ask someone close to you. They'll have a good idea about how you are gifted. And finally, S, always, always seek God for his wisdom. He is eager and ready to help lead us in this perhaps messy process, but... Um, the one that he wants for us. So today, hopefully, we're going to finish up chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And again, remember, our working series title has been An Imperfect Church, But a Perfect Gospel. This perfect gospel um, is the announcement that Jesus is the king of the universe who was historically verified as Lord by his resurrection. Um, Validating his claims to be Lord of all. He conquered death as our everlasting king. Uh, and this reality, as Paul is trying to help the Corinthians see, is meant like a new pair of glasses to a blind man to help us relook at the way uh, we live our lives, we think about the world, and just how we perceive all of reality. Um, the gospel is intended to change that. So, um, and to remember, in the context is he wrote this letter to Corinthian church that he knew very well after he spent a year and a half there with them. It was reported to him while he was away that the church was falling into some serious, disordering, chaotic sins of arrogance and divisiveness, sexual impurity, quarrels over meat sacrificed to idols, um, chaos in the gathering, and the necessity of the resurrection, which is in the last chapters. <clears throat> Paul wrote to show them Again, how the gospel changes how they ought to look at uh, the body, sexuality, um, the gathering, uh, uh, and, and arrogance and divisiveness. Some themes for the old book are that we are to be a unified community of people centered around Jesus. That we are to be holy as he is holy. 
and that we need, as Eric said last week, unity and diversity for the purpose of maturity and for our witness to the world. We need both unity and diversity for the purpose of maturity. Um, And let me pray, and we will jump into the text. Father, would you please give us this morning eyes to see the great blessing that it is that you would identify and even unite yourself with us. Please show us the depth of what it means to abide in you. Please, Holy Spirit, come shine into the areas of sin where we, like the church in Corinth, have gotten away from your design. Bring Jesus to bear in our minds this morning and hearts today in more of his fullness and in a way that my words can never bring. Let us see him and love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thought of an illustration that I think goes well with the spiritual gifts. Like, what if I was to get at a piano and just play a D, and then I play an F, or play an F sharp? Do you think any one of those notes, you would say, oh, yeah, that's a better note? Yeah, E flat. That's, that's the best note. Out of all the 12, oh, E flat. I really like that. Or what if I just played an E flat over and over and over again? By about the 10th time, it would start to sound like Chinese water torture or something, right? It would, it would be annoying. It wouldn't be pleasant. And I think this is a lot about, like, the gifts. The, the, the struggle was, you know, elevating one over another, whereas God's design is that, like a beautiful piece of music, every note in its time and in its place, um, when, when played thoughtfully and in awareness to one another, you get something beautiful that comes out of it. So let's read the text with that in mind. First uh, Corinthians 12, we'll start in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12, and we'll read to the end. And man, if uh, you don't listen the rest of the day, listen to this part, because this is the best of what I will say, is what we will read here together. I'll give you a second to flip to it, or open her up. Okay, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so a question I would like to pose is, why does Paul seem to repeat himself so much? Why does he recycle this analogy over and over again? One, though many. One, though many. And then when he gets to the analogy of the body parts, he's not just content to give one example, you know, the eye to the hand, he goes to the foot to the hand, or if the eye, the whole body was an eye. He just keeps going around and around in this analogy. There's a lot of times when he can be very succinct and he'd say so much in a couple sentences. So I think there's probably a reason why he, um, he, he runs this analogy through so many times. And, and I, th- I think it's because what he is trying to commend to the Corinthian church is that the way that, that God intends for us to live with one another is not natural. It's, it's very much not natural. But it's so worth, worth it. It's so beautiful if we can, can, can understand the vision that the way we are to be this recreated community Um, the way we are to love as Christ loved us, that it's worth him going to great depths to hope that they will really get this because it's that important. So let's look at verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one, we're talking about the analogy of uh, a person's body. I'm not not six parts. I'm, I'm one body. And has many members, fingers, toes, nose, elbow, knees, And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. You would expect him to say, so it is with the church. Because, you know, that's what we're relating it to, right? You know, one one person has many members. Okay, we're all here in this room. But he doesn't. He goes even deeper than that if you think about it. It may seem like a small thing. He doesn't say, so it is with the church. What does he say? So it is with Christ. I think even right there, what he is pointing to is the, is, is the mystery of our union with Christ. That Christ, like is said in Philippians 2, he's willing to humble himself, uh, to take on the form of a servant, to take on our flesh, and to identify with us, with you and with me. Um, and note the repetition of these opposing words again. Many parts, though one body. One body, he says it a different way, though many parts. And I think American culture doesn't really serve us well for understanding this idea of union because so much of our maxims and sayings that are just kind of in vernacular, whether Disney or just, I don't know, in the university or just in commercials, really, there's a lot of um, truths or gospels, many gospels that, that come out there, is, is about independence or rugged rebel individuality. Be yourself, you know, express yourself, uh, be you, you be you. Um, find the answer with inside of you. That's a big Disney theme. Uh, define yourself. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Follow your heart. Or as the great prophet Toucan Sam says, follow your nose. <laughs> Any Fruit Loops lovers out there? Oh, yeah, that milk just tastes so right when you're done with it. But <laughs> following Christ, it demands a different value than just individualism because we're... Uh, 
inseparably linked. When we have been, uh, when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his body. This one, right? Though many, there's one, and it's a mystery. Uh, In his family, my good is not a solitary pursuit, but it is inseparably linked to the well-being of others. So when you suffer, I don't get to just let, ah, you do you. If I do, the fullness of joy that God designed to give to me, if I selfishly refuse to weep with those who weep, is lost. As a Christian and a member of the household of God, whether I choose to acknowledge or embody that reality, I still suffer when you suffer. And we'll see why in a minute. Uh, The text reads, We, plural, are members of Christ's spiritual body, singular, in an even more mysterious and deeply linked way than husband and wife, as Ephesians 5 makes clear when he says, But I mean Christ in the church. So this means when the world or others see you and me, they're supposed to see Jesus. That's the mystery. It is a divine mystery that someone so great, so awesome, so full of majesty, so worthy of all worship, would link himself with me, and I know me, and with you. Um, John Calvin says that Christ confers upon us this honor, that he is willing to be esteemed and recognized, not in himself merely, but also in his members. Christ has drawn near to us as he emptied himself, took the form of a servant, as we said earlier. Um, So just like as in one body there are many members, so it is with Christ, and you are in Christ. We're united with him into his very body. This is an awesome reality that's hard to grasp without the Spirit's help. Let's look into John 15. It might help uh, us dive into this concept a little better. A very well-known text from uh, with this union and oneness language we get when Jesus says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Or two chapters later, when Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, Um, hear these words and remember that not one word from Christ is ever careless or wasted or even exaggerated when he says, as he prays, Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and I, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a lot, so much there to take in. Um, Certainly more than I am skilled to fully unpack, but he means what he says. As Christ and the Father are one, so are we also with Christ. This level of intimacy that we are being recreated for is staggering and a little bit embarrassing initially to ponder. We must remember that apart from him, We can do nothing. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Um, A lot of uh, commentators kind of argue about what is meant there by baptism, so I'm not going to go into that. But at least it's plain to see that what we are talking about is 
in our baptism. We aren't baptized into 70 different versions of, of, of Christ or, or, or 100 different varieties and flavors of following him. But we're baptized into one body, one faith, one Lord, one God who is over all and in all and through all. There's a unity to our baptism. There's a unity from the day we, we believed by faith and were baptized into, into Christ. Um, baptism, along with being an outward symbol of dying to sin and being reborn to righteousness, it corresponds with and is somehow mysteriously linked to God's work of engrafting us into the body of Christ. It would seem that the nature of baptism is to connect us to Christ's body. In this body, there are no unjust distinctions made as we are, as there are on earth. And each member is designed specifically to play a valuable and a necessary part in the care and the growth of the body. So, and remember, excuse me, remember uh, that Jesus said uh, to those who went before us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations in a command form, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's funny that it's natural for us uh, humans to think about uh, rules in terms of what we can get away with. Uh, Lord, how far do I have to go to, to be righteous or to be obedient? Or I've heard this question, I've asked it many times myself, I wonder if you can get to heaven if you weren't baptized. And it's certainly a, a normal, understandable question, but it, I don't think it reflects the heart of someone who loves and follows Christ. It should be more, uh, Father, help me to desire to do your will and to follow you wherever you might lead, we, lead me. And this is a heart more pleasing to God, I think. Um, and remember, Jesus even said of his own baptism when John the baptizer tried to refuse uh, baptizing him, like, Lord, I'm not worthy. He said, no, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Interesting uh, pronoun there. He didn't say for me. He said it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I think even there pointing to the mystery of the union of our baptism into Christ, that he was faithful and he fulfilled the law. And so I think for us uh, to follow with him in, in, in his footsteps there is a right thing to want to do. Uh, but going on to the second half of 13, he says, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Um, if this verse is taken to refer to communion of the Lord's Supper, uh, then our participation in, as, as, uh, as Eric always says, the Welches and wafers or uh, the synchronized sipping of the 10 milliliters of Members Mark grape juice uh, together it reminds us that we were not called to approach forgiveness in our own way, but his way. Together, we're called in unity to drink of the same cup of the precious, life-giving blood of Christ. This, we remember, is foundational to us having restored fellowship with God. For now, his life-giving spirit richly indwells us. So this weekly meal expresses the unity that we practically, tangibly, and daily are pursuing in our care for one another. Verse 14, 15, and 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Again, a reminder here. Uh, so now Paul begins a very lengthy, repeated analogy here in 15 and 16, and then 17. Uh, that would just be so fun, kids, to put in a comic strip form. Any kids here like to draw comics? Anybody? I know you do. Um, uh, so here's, here's my challenge to you kids who are like scrambling for gum wrappers or any piece of paper to just write and scribble anything on. Uh, I challenge you, I'm going to read this next text to see if you can depict this in a comic strip form and come to me at the end of the service. I've got a dollar for each one of you that's uh, put forth a good effort to try and do it. 
Here it is. Let the comic strip juices begin to flow. What would this look like if you put this into frames? Uh, Where's 15? If the foot should say, a talking foot, okay? Uh, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Uh, So Paul covers here the two most common ways we miss the mark on viewing the gifts of God that he's given us. First, he addresses those who might envy and imagine that others have a better gift than I do. Someone else has something more flashy, more shiny, more desirable. Perhaps maybe because it's more public or more visible or just something we desire. So I kind of hear this like uh, almost as as if Eeyore would, would be reading it. And I think it would sound like this. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I'm not an eye, I guess I don't belong to the body. It would not make it any less a part of the body. John Piper has said that um, pride takes two forms. Uh, For those who self-deprecate, it's, um, you know, pride in the heart of, of weakness. And for those who are arrogant, it's pride in the heart of the strong. That neither of those approaches, whether uh, you know, um, beating ourselves up or praising ourselves, commends us to God. But eyes on the Lord and on His fullness, that's, that's how we stay in the right path. So uh, to this group of people, I think the Lord would say that a thankful or at least a content heart is so necessary for us to be happy and to play our vital role to build up the, the church of God. So to say that you don't belong because you don't lead like her or talk like him or sing like him or tell jokes like him or gather a following like her or look like her, it really robs you and it robs others of the life that God gives to you and wants to send through you to others. Um, I've often heard Eric say, and I agree, that the New Testament knows no unchurched or disconnected Christian because every person is designed by God with valuable gifts for the building up of the church. Verse 17 goes on and says, uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where, would this, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So the comic strip for this verse seems even more fun to draw because it imagines that Christ's body would look like just a giant ear laying on the ground with no legs to carry it, no mouth to feed it, and no stomach to digest, you know, no ability to take in the world, or if it was just an eyeball rolling around with, with no substance other than just an eye. How silly would that be and how useless would that body be if it were just one gift? Uh, So it's silly and sad that we can actually miss God's design when we covet someone else's gift or hide or bury our own. A big part of our growth in godliness is learning to accept and be content and maybe even one day being thankful for how God has made us to be. Think about it. Could a body full of squishy eyeballs survive? I don't think so. And the result of us trying to force equality in this matter uh, would be ruin. Because God has a far better idea of equality, which we'll talk about later. Um, verse Verse 18 goes on and says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose and this is so key to us, not only accepting, but knowing that a God who doesn't make mistakes, but fearfully and wonderfully creates, says, I arranged, and I have chosen 
and, 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 and distributed uh, the members in the body uh, as I uh, know to be best. So though we may have cultivated our gifts through discipline and effort, not a single one of us chose those gifts. So listen carefully. Let's read that, those two words again. God arranged. So who made you unique and essential? He did. Does he make mistakes? He does not. What does Psalm 139 say of you? You are fearfully, which means with great care and respect, and wonderfully, which means in a way that inspires delight or admiration. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God does not lie. So please don't despise the indispensably wonderful, necessary, unique way that God has gifted you and gifted others. But rather, ask him for his eyes to see the beauty and the treasure that is around you. Um, American culture will definitely tell us that, that there's a treasure inside of you, there's a good inside of you, and to some degree, because we have Christ, that is true. But it will not give us the context in which to carry it out that's appropriate. It will say, find the answer inside of you. But that is not what God tells us. He tells us here the answer, verse 19 and 20. If all were a single member, which is another way of saying a heap of useless flesh, Pretty visceral image. If all were a heap of useless flesh, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Same language here again. Many parts, one body. This refrain is repeated on purpose. And here lies the weight of Paul's argument. The unity of the body cannot be maintained without the diversity of its members. So it is that very diversity and that very uniqueness of the gifts that allows the church to have a healthy and a functioning body. Yet it is anchored in Christ and in his glory and in his, his purposes. And God is not random, but he is rather skillfully brilliant in making in just the right way you and at just the right time when you would be born and where you would be born that he did. So you were uniquely and indispensably made to belong to his body Many wonderful parts, yet one body with one mission, the joy of his people in the glory of Christ. So to worry about gifts that you don't have or that others do have is like uh, being at a wonderful dinner with a friend and, and a beautiful setting on the restaurant on the beach, talking to a dear friend that you haven't seen in a long time with an amazing meal, a peaceful environment, and then all you're able to think about is their nose. Look at their sniffer going in and out. Their nose, their nose. I mean, you're just completely missing the person. You're seeing the one thing, the one part of that person's body and focusing on it when God says, no, no, see the whole. See what I'm doing and how you're a part of it. But don't get lost in, in like I say, don't lose the forest for the trees. Um, uh, yes, here it is. <laughs> you aren't gifted for you, as Eric said last week, but you're gifted for us. You can't make it alone. You need others. And they need you. So because our individual roles are so necessary, please consider giving your gifting some thought. Uh, he, we, we did that acronym again. I won't go over that, uh, the gifts acronym. But verse 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. So here he is addressing those who are more inclined to boast in their strength, to think that their work or their gifts or their activities are maybe more important than somebody else, uh, or, or even to just, to just miss 
discovering, are always talking about you and your plans and your, your things. But to them, God might say, uh, if this is you, um, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you've received it, remember, you are accountable to employ it in the way that Christ would have you to employ it. There are gifts in others that you do not know that you actually might need. Um, in our home, I have talked regularly about why God gives us strength. And as God does in his kindness and in his humor, the moment that I'm speaking to my children, the Lord is like turning the arrow back on me and reminding me of all the ways that I don't serve in my strength. So it's like I'm, I'm sort of teaching them and he's teaching me in that, in that very moment. Um, but oftentimes, this is funny, when one of them is especially like frustrated in the morning when we're heading to school that another one is being super slow to tie their shoes or to grab their backpack, uh, you know, um, there's, there's some tension there. Or like another time would be like when someone was a little more violent and swift and procuring some candy like at a piñata and they have to share that candy with someone else who was less swift. Uh, or when you feel that one of them feels frustrated that a younger sibling wants to help them with a task or a project. It's in those moments that, that we have to remind each other, okay, why has God made you strong? Why has he made you fast? Why has he made you good at getting in the car before everybody else? And the begrudging answer, of course, is to serve, to serve. Why has he made you strong? To serve. So if you have a gift that someone else doesn't have, I have been so guilty of this in my marriage and in other areas of life. It's so natural for us when we're good at something to instead of using it to serve, we use it to judge and to be frustrated with other people who aren't good like us or aren't assertive like us or don't see the mess and, and run to jump to clean it up. So what, what I think what the Lord would say to you is, if you're good at something, be good at it. Serve. If you see it and someone else doesn't, use that strength as a way to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Use it to bless, as Jesus would say, without expecting anything in return. For then you will have treasure in heaven, as he says in uh, Luke 6. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. I think there's width in that verse, because sometimes even those we love can feel like enemies, right? Even though they're not. But it's that when there's nothing in, in it for you, when no one sees the good that you do, all the better. Use your strength to serve. If you're good at being assertive, like I said, yeah, be assertive and see the need before your spouse or roommate, uh, before they see it, and serve them. And here, here's key. It's far too easy for us to judge someone else's weaknesses by our strengths. And that's not what the Lord would have us do. He didn't make you strong for that reason. He actually deputized you and filled you with a noble calling and he gave you strength to serve and communicate his love to others. Remember that God may have designed them in your life to be weak in the very area that you are strong so that you could serve. We're so quick to, to employ motive, right, to someone else's lack of concern for something we're concerned about. So he goes on to say, um, you know, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I think this can be read two ways. Generally, um, that in, in Christ, as we grow in Christ, we mature more, we, we know more, we have more wisdom uh, as, we, as we walk with the Lord longer. So there's that sense that there's, there's weaker brothers and stronger brothers in the faith longer. But then there's also situational, like um, I will always be 
worse at time management than my wife and than a lot of people around me. As hard as I can try, I'm never going to be good at people who are gifted in that. And so there's situational weakness that God wants to enter into and teach us in. So on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. He has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division. This is the purpose in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. This is why there's strengths. This is why there are weaknesses. So the analogy here isn't too difficult to understand what he's talking about when he's referring to certain parts of the body. So think about it like this. Uh, In the same way that our less presentable body parts are either more sensitive or require more thoughtful covering, so ought the household of God to give greater care and concern for those whose gifts or personalities are more hidden or more tender. You know, there, we all know that there's certain, you can say, a joke to some person who thinks it's hilarious. You can say the same joke to someone else who will take offense to it. And as we already learned in in chapters 8, 9, and 10, our freedoms are always to be sacrificed for the good of loving someone else. And, And God would have us do that. He would have us, for the sake of love, to give care for those who are either tender or more hidden in their giftings. And uh, that's how um, uh, it says, so that there may be no division in the body. Because division tears down the work of the Lord so quickly. And that's a a huge, four chapters are even devoted to that in the beginning of of 1 Corinthians. So God's idea of equality, as I see it here, is that each person has both a strategic strength and a strategic weakness. And this is not like, you know, those interview questions with like, oh, what is your greatest weakness? You know, what does everybody always answer? You know, oh, I'm far too committed. I work too hard. You know, (laughs) it's not like a veiled strength. But truly, I have weaknesses and you have weaknesses that God has designed others to fill and others because he has linked us right to one another. So in our weaknesses, we are to graciously avail ourselves and may I dare say, make ourselves vulnerable to allow others to be strong and in our strengths to serve. This could be something as simple. It's worked its way out this way in my life more often than not. I'm having a hard day. I'm struggling with something, anger, frustration, whatever it is. Calling a friend and asking them to pray for me. It's, it's humiliating. You're like, I know they're going to be in the middle of work mode and me asking this question is going to seem overly spiritual or weird, but God uses those moments. If you will humble yourself, make yourself vulnerable and deputize someone else in their faith to pray for you, it binds you together with people and it lets them serve you and it gives them that joy of being able to fill up what is lacking in your faith. So God wants a lot more of that overlap. He wants less um, us imagining or or putting forward only only and always our best foot. That's fun to joke. It's fun to be lighthearted. We need that. But we also need to be truthful with one another. another. Think of how many scandals in the last 15 years have come out for those who've led churches who've just hidden stuff. I mean, even recently um, in in our state, uh, a big one has come out. God doesn't 
We can't make it without that honesty. We can't make it without asking one another for help. And he wants us to avoid the schemes of the enemy um, by letting others serve. So if we do it God's way, the strong serve the weak, the rich serve the poor, the well-connected serve the outcast, the bold, the timid, the wives serve the simple, the discerning serve the immature, the faith-filled can serve the worrier. Remember Paul's words earlier in chapter 9 where he says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. May we have eyes for those God has equipped us to serve because he has in, in very specific ways, in differing ways. Verse 26 goes on, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. Sounds fun. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Yeah, I'm here for that. Um, God's design is that we would work to embody this reality that he has already set in motion in our communal life together. We have been bound together into Christ's body. And whether we see it or, or, or embody it or not, God has designed the nature of our bond such that by the prosperity of others, um, by the prosperity of others, I am proportionately enriched. And by their suffering, I am thereby impoverished. And so we ought to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Let their successes become our joys and their trials our earnest concerns. This is God's plan for you and for me. Verse 27, now he states again, very plainly, you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. That's more than can be, can be mined, I feel like and individually members of it. Here he makes this point clear and loud again, that we are both a unified part of the corporate body and fearfully and wonderfully made distinct parts of it. Next, he's going to turn his attention to not just the gifts, but the offices that are connected to the gifts. Um, just as in, in the world, you know, before you get a position or um, an office or a leadership role, you have to exhibit some sort of like uh, experience or some sort of skill before you can be given that. The same thing in the church, in, in the ordered household of God, uh, gifts you know, come first and then offices. So um, gifts precede offices is a better way to say that. Ordered for the well-being of all. So now he turns to listing of some of these roles that uh, many have seen some sort of priority in, that he's, um, he's not just specifically, which is funny, pointing out the Corinthians' um, misuse of tongues, meaning they were elevating it and making it this huge, important thing in their gatherings, and it was creating chaos. Uh, he shows that by, in the three times those gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians, he puts it last every time, tongues. But I think there's also a, a general sense of, of order um, to how the church is to be built up. He says, God has appointed first. He uses the word first. Apostles. Um, so, excuse me here. Uh, the apostles are listed first as those who physically saw the risen Lord and were greatly needed to establish unity in all the churches and in its teachings. Um, second, prophets are listed. But in Paul's context, this isn't like those who are predicting future events but those who accurately explain the words of Christ and can wisely apply them to life. 
for whatever reason, in Denton where we lived, uh, there was like a series of like a year and a half where three times several different Christian, I guess, ministries were saying the end is coming. And they were so bold as to put a date on, on these billboards. Do you remember that? And it was like this, uh, April 17th, you know, 2019. So Natalie and I got a newspaper on April 18th and took a picture in front of the billboard. And we were like, I guess it didn't happen. You know, this is not the kind of prophets that we're talking about. We're talking about what Revelation 19 so beautifully says when the angel tells John not to worship him. He says, no, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. True prophecy is greatly needed, but it will always exalt Christ and it will always edify the church in perfect alignment with his revealed word. Um, Next, teachers are listed as those who are entrusted with taking care that sound doctrine be well maintained. And then um, regarding miracles and healings, I love how Eric is so helpful to say, uh, not Christ, but I. In this section, I am just going to share with you my experience, so please take it with a grain of salt. Um, But I'm sharing it because I think it may be helpful. Um, So like Eric, I don't have a ton of experience with with that or what that means to be, but I have seen enough people that have been sick that I or others have prayed for that have gotten better. And it's so easy in those moments to just chalk it up to coincidence And not to just thank the Lord for the miracle of every time our bodies get well when they were sick. You can look at that as, again, just purely scientific, which he's Lord of science. And we have no clue how many times he bends the laws of that. We can't prove that. But there's something, like James says, that faith is what pleases the Lord. And I think he's after that in us. Will you ask me, like a child, if he's our father and we're children, what do children do? Do they ask for... Do they think about how prudent it would be? Is my father in a good mood? Is he ready to hear this request? Has he had a hard day? Do they think through those things before they come and ask you something? They don't. Lest we think we're close to, close to the Lord, I think there is wisdom in us. As long as we are submissive always to his will, in line with how scripture tells us to ask for something in his will, and trusting the result to him, to ask for these things, and when they come true, to thank him for them. Is maybe a simple way that we can walk out what the scriptures are commending here for miracles and healings. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's very consistent with his word to imagine him both delighting in and being willing to effect change at times when we pray according to his gracious will. So I have determined in my life, again, this is, this is me, not the Lord, that I'm going to pray for as many miracles as I feel like I or my family need or someone I love needs, with all the faith that I can muster, and yet always trying to leave the result up to him. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, right? We know that the Lord is able to deliver us. What, what do they say after that? That's right. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and serve your Lord. I think that's the heart of a Christian. He is able, but even if he doesn't, so I've, um, <laughs> y'all think this is silly, and, and, and pray, maybe, you, well, you should. So I've said, I've decided to pray for as many as I feel like I or those I love need, and I can muster the faith. I've even prayed as a contractor for broken appliances I couldn't fix. I've just put my hand on the Lord. I can't figure out why this hot water heater isn't lighting. Would you give me the wisdom to figure it out? And, I, and again, so many times, little prayers like that he has answered. And I just, I just want to commend to you to, to not despise these little things in life, imagining that he is Lord over all things and he is involved in our lives. He is not distant and removed from us, but he is personal and present in our lives. 
and to thank him for everything that we can thank him for. Um, let's not be afraid to let God be who he wants to be, for he is able, uh, for who he wants to be and what he is able and willing to be. It's never on my terms, but he is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Uh, Paul goes on to say, uh, basically, that no one is so gifted that he or she can be self-sufficient and not need the help or the gifts of others. When he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The, of course, rhetorical no is to say, not everybody has all the gifts. We're, we're, we're in part. It's manifold in our coming together. So there's missing pieces in you and there's missing pieces in me on purpose. Um, every gift is given by God so that no one can truly boast in themselves. We can water and plant at the best of our abilities, but God must cause the growth. And if he doesn't, like the Psalms say, when you, when you remove your hand, you know, we're empty. He has to fill up. Um, he goes on in verse 31 to say, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I, and he goes even deeper here, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And I take that to mean Paul's, the rails on this um, teaching are, it must be for mutual edification. The use of the gifts in the gathering must be for the purpose of building up the church. That's the rails. If it's not doing that, if it's causing chaos, if it's just you expressing your own feelings, it's not good. It's not right. It's out of order. Um, order and mutual edification are the main guides for how one should seek to employ their giftings because, they're, again, they're not for you. They're for us. Our goal is to build one another up. And so I think there's something in him saying, hey, earnestly desire the higher gifts, meaning those that more easily build up the church, prophecy, you know, rightly handling the word of God, rightly applying it in situations um, as opposed to tongues. But even then, even more than that, I will show you a still more excellent way that has very clear weight to it for what 1 Corinthians 13 is going to bring next week. Um, more excellent than any of the gifts previously mentioned here. More refined and more sweet to the eyes of God to see come out of his children. Tune in next week. The gift of love. So, um, I guess to, to, to roll it all, all up. Though our sins, which are many, took us out of God's direct presence in Eden. Yet God, through Christ... He has destroyed our enslavement to sin and selfishness, to only thinking about ourselves. And he has empowered us by his resurrection to love others the way he so patiently and faithfully loves us, thoughtfully, with care and concern for each person, um, desiring to build up, desiring to know where the hurt is so that we don't, well, landmine is, we don't, we don't want to step on it. Christ is so patient with us. For those of you guys who know how patient he's been with you on your sins, this is his plan for us and how we look at one another. So through the strength that Christ gives, now we can and should join him in this work of building. Through every word of encouragement we offer out of our mouths, every sincere prayer for someone, every hidden act of kindness in Jesus' name, every choice to forgive someone who has wronged you, this is huge. Every moment where we choose to hold our tongues when selfish words begin to form for the sake of Christ who loved us.
So, uh, a couple points of application. Eric taught me how to do this. <laughs> Number one, learn your strengths, even if it's messy and uncertain and unclear, and try to practice them. G, give yourself to God. Here I am. Hold nothing back. I, involve yourself in various ministries and people's lives. F, focus on specific gifts where the most good comes out of you. T, talk to others about your gift. Ask those close to you. We learn ourselves in in community, not alone. S, and seek God for his wisdom. Number two, learn your weaknesses as well and make room for others' strengths. When Paul prayed for the thorn to be removed from him, which would, would have been very pleasant for him, I assume, God said, no, for my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So strange. It doesn't make any sense. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do y'all see anyone on social media boasting in their weakness? Is anyone like putting that on display? We are to have such freedom in Christ that our weaknesses don't define us and that he will use them to bind us together, that we can even put those on display and boast in them. You can't find freedom like that outside of Christ. You just can't. That your weaknesses not only don't bind you and don't uh, make you laughable, but make you strong. Lastly, remember who's leading the way. It's God who has arranged the members of the body. It's God who has so, so composed the members of the body, and he always knows what's best. Envying others or feeling superior to others is an affront to God's wisdom and his design, and it will lead you away from the presence of the one who gave you life and who longs to give it evermore. Remember that our highest prayer and desire ought to be, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we must push back against church weakening independence, church weakening independence, autonomy, and individualism for the sake of Christ, his body, this glorious kingdom that will come on earth one day as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word to us. God, if in any way I am outside of your revealed truth, God, I pray that you would both correct me and and let us uh, not hear. Lord, I'm trusting today that you would let, like Eric said, a better sermon be preached than, than my words can, that you would speak directly to our hearts. Father, bind us together in love and help us to be willing to be vulnerable, to be weak, so that others might be strong and in our strengths to not boast about them, but to serve quietly and patiently. Father, this week, give us the strength we need to overcome temptation, to remember no temptation has overtaken us but except for that which is common to man. And God will provide a way of escape Help us, Lord, and lead us to be and look more like Jesus. We ask that you would help us in these practices, Lord, to build up, to not distract, to not tear down the church which you died for. Lead us and help us along the way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.